If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is where we're going to be. You know, the world desires peace, right? Um, the world is looking for peace. And I personally believe that many never find it for one main reason. And I believe the reason that they don't find peace is because they're searching for it with everything they have, and yet the answer is really quite simple, but they don't want to do it, to get it. So they search for peace in areas that ultimately may bring a moment of peace, but not lasting peace, or it's a substitute for peace, something that makes them feel good, something that makes them think, well, I can get my mind off of this and it's on this for a little while so I don't have to think about this because this is happening. But when this is done happening, I go back to whatever it is that is robbing them of their peace. And so I believe in these next two verses, God's Word gives us at least five directives, six directives, that really, if we would heed them, would lead to perfect peace. And so we're going to look at these next two verses in Psalm chapter 37. And we're going to look at verses uh, eight, 7 and 8. And I want you to think as we go through these next couple of verses, am I willing to do what this scripture tells me to do? I agree with John MacArthur as he said many times, he goes, one of the greatest mistakes that any of us can make as we come to church is, as the preacher says, open your Bible to such and such a passage, you kind of quickly prove it and say, oh, I've heard that before, and we kind of go into coast mode. Can I beg you not to do that this morning? Don't go into coast mode. Don't pretend that you know everything about it because we're all still learning, right? We all have lots to learn in this passage and throughout the rest of the Word of God. So don't go into coast mode. Don't put your brains in neutral. Engage. And then ask yourself two questions. Number one, are you willing to be honest about what God's Word says? And number two, are you willing to obey what it says? See, a lot of times we're willing to do the first thing. Well, I'm honest about what it says, and I agree with it, but doing something about it is oftentimes a different subject, right? So let's both be honest and obedient. So let's look at God's Word in Psalm 37, 7, and 8, and then let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started in the message this morning. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we ask God that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, begin with mine. Lord, you've been challenging me in some of these areas that I've been reading about in Psalm 37. Lord, my focus so often is on other people and other things and other circumstances more than it's on you. God, I ask for forgiveness for that. But Lord, I pray that you help all of us, Lord, as we're reading your word, that we might not think about how it applies to other people and what other people may be going through, but Lord, how it applies to ourselves. And Lord, that we would be honest and obedient regarding the word that we read. So God, speak to our hearts this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 37, 7 and 8, it says this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. So we see six directives in this passage. And let me just kind of highlight them. Maybe you want to highlight them in your Bible. But right there, right away in verse 7, it says the word rest. That's an action verb, something for you to do. It's a directive that you need to heed. Rest. And then it says wait. Rest, then wait. And then it says a third directive. Do not fret. 
And the fact that he's telling us not to do something pre-imposes that what? We're probably not at ease. We're probably worried about something. How, many, how often do many of us get worried about things that never come to pass? And then he goes on and says, cease from anger. There's a fourth directive. And then forsake wrath. That's a fifth one. And then number six, he tells us another thing that we're not to fret over. So do not fret again. But the first directive we see here in the verse here is the word rest. And I know that as soon as we talk about the word rest, we all have an idea in our minds what that word means. In fact, I can't tell you how many times that somebody in the last week texted me the word, well, just rest up in the hospital. Seriously, if you've ever been in the hospital, that, those are two oxymorons that do not go together. There is no rest in a hospital. Every 30 to 40 minutes, they want more blood. I can remember once during the middle of the night, Mr. Todd, I need, I need to take some blood. I just flop my arm up over the rails, like, just do what you got to do. You know, it's just, there is no rest in the hospital. I mean, all night long, I finally fall asleep between 4 and 4.30, and 5.30, the first doctor shows up. I'm like, seriously? Do you know what time it is? They don't care. But we have an idea in our mind of what rest is. And whatever you think that idea of rest is in your mind, dismiss it just for a moment. I want you to get rid of it. Pretend you've never heard the definition of rest before in your life. And really, this word is, a, is an incredible Hebrew word, daman. And it's really interesting. By definition, it carries four thoughts. And here are the four thoughts. Number one, to be or grow dumb. You're like, what? He says the rest means to grow dumb? Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Say, well, I do that really well. <laughs> no, because we don't do that well. But we're going to talk about why it means that in just a moment. It means to cease. Then it means to be silent and to be still. See, silence, being silent and being still are two different things. There are a lot of us, we can sit still, but your mouth never shuts up. We can sit still, but our brain never shuts off. And really, both of those are implied in this verse in the Hebrew language. You say, well, how in the world? Well, I want, I want you to just keep your finger in Psalm 37 and turn back to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, there's an interesting verse here that really, where this word is translated from the Hebrew word here. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 16, it says, Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. That word still is described as that of a stone. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a stone move by itself. Right! You say, that doesn't happen. Exactly the point. You see that stone, if it were untouched by man, it would stay there in the exact same spot for probably decades or centuries if nobody picked it up and moved it. He says, still as the stone. That's the word translated from Psalm 37.7 in the word rest. It means don't move. How often when we need rest, we kind of sometimes think of it, well, I didn't go to work today, or I didn't go to school today, or I didn't really turn the TV on today, but I'm resting. But really, there's a million things going on in your mind, a million things that you're thinking about, contemplating, and maybe even doing, but you're not at work, so you're working at home, so I'm resting. That's not the concept here. It literally means to stop. 
Let's go on here just for a moment. Leviticus, over just the book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, in chapter 10, gives us another idea here where it's translated the exact same word. In Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3, it says this, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. So at that moment, Aaron didn't speak. He didn't go on with what he might have been thinking. He stopped. And he held his peace. Same word translated to rest. Joshua. Let's go over a couple pages here to our right. Joshua chapter 10. And this is an interesting passage as well. In verses 12 and 13. It says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered him up to the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of all Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. The word still. Can you imagine just for a moment God working in such a way that he could command the sun to stand still? And it did not move. There's one more in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. I love this verse. It's one of the first verses I remember in the Psalms. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Be still. And then it's followed by that word selah. Selah means just to stop and to rest. Just think about what God's doing. You say, Spurgeon said, To rest in the Lord requires much grace to carry out this command to hush the spirit, to wait in the holy patience of the Lord. Here's the interesting thing that I found out about this word rest as I studied in the hospital. The word rest has the idea of waiting for God to work. You see, how do I rest in a chaotic world? You think about that? How does one rest in a world that's filled full of chaos? And you know what I've been thinking over the last couple of weeks is just a matter of time before the chaos comes to Rochester. And guess what? It showed up just like we thought it would. How do you rest with everything going on? How do you rest in a time of pandemic? How do you rest in a time of uncertainty? How do you rest in a world where the finances are up and down and jobs are up and down and things are just constantly crazy? How do you rest in that? We'll answer that in a minute. And let me ask another question. Is it easy to rest? I don't think it is. I think it's really, really hard at times. I think it's really difficult because we live in a world that's fast-paced and even if we're not really doing something actively, we're thinking about the next thing we're going to do. And the thing after that... Because we always have ten things to do and we don't really have time to sit around. And even if we were sitting around, our mind doesn't shut off. It's hard to rest. And what hinders us from resting is that next thing we got to do. It's not easy. And life is full of distractions. And quite, uh, quite honestly, many of us, we don't want to rest. Resting to many of us, especially if you're of the older generation, that's wasting time when you could be doing something. I mean, why put off to tomorrow what you can really do today? And we really don't want to think about the next ten things. We want to get them all done today, right? 
Because some of us, we don't like rest. In our minds, that's lazy or that's a waste of time or that's whatever. But we don't like to rest. And yet God's Word calls us to it. And we don't want to do it. Have you ever been anxious to solve a problem? <laughs> you got this issue in your mind and it hinders us from resting. Because we have a hard time being silent and shutting our mind to hush the spirit of Spurgeon said. It's just difficult. And the question is, why is rest necessary? Why is it necessary? It helps us accept what we can't change or don't understand. You see, here's what I found. Is that the idea of resting is that there's a period of shutting down while we wait on God to do what He's going to do. I don't know about you, but let me speak from my own thoughts, just for a moment. My own testimony. I don't like to wait. Dude, I can do two hands and two feet. Woo! Usually do two hands and a foot. I got I got both up. There we go. I hate waiting. Anybody have a threshold of when you're at the drive through and it's like what a, what in tarnation? I mean, did they have to go out and kill kill a chicken somewhere to get a chicken sandwich? I mean, seriously, what are they doing back there? Yeah, I know. Some of you have had that same thought. Did they have to go dig a well to get a glass of water here? I mean, come on. We hate waiting. And we're so conditioned in this culture that we live that we don't have to wait most of the time. We have instant coffee and microwaves, and we don't have to cook. I mean, we can, boom, done. We hate waiting. And yet, that's the second directive we'll get to in just a moment. But how do we rest? I think it requires three things. We're going to go back and look at some of these things in a minute, but it requires at least three things. Number one, trusting in the Lord or relying on Him. You won't rest as long as you don't trust in the Lord. Because as long as it depends on you, you're not going to settle. Because if it depends on you, you've got to figure out how you're going to solve it, how you're going to fix it, what your next step is, what your next move is, where you're going to go next. Until you learn to trust the Lord, you will not have rest. Not by definition of what it means in the Hebrew language. You won't do it. Number two, and this one's a little bit even more difficult for some of you, to delight yourself in the Lord. You see, as long as I'm worried about everything going on, I'm not delighting in what God has already done. You see how that works? I need to learn to delight. Not seeing what's not happening. You know, you ever notice that what doesn't happen is glaringly obvious? What's not right is just oblivious to all? I mean, the reality is, we know what's not right. We see what's not right. But it's a little more difficult at times to delight in what is good. How many of you woke up today? Every hand should go up. Thank you. Not a trick question. You woke up today. Praise God. How many of you had a refrigerator full of food? Whether you touched it or not, you had it. Right? How many of you slept in a nice warm bed? How many of you drove here? You didn't have to walk here, besides Betty. You, you didn't have to walk here. You have nice cars. And yet, let's be honest. How many of us woke up this morning saying, God, thank you for life, for health, for forgiveness, 
for mercy, for grace, for love, for kindness, and the list could go on for the next two hours. Have we taken time to delight? See, if we're worried about the circumstances, we're never going to rest. But delighting in others and in what God is doing takes our mind off ourselves. Delight. And number three, committing your way to the Lord. In other words, it's the idea behind surrender. The very thing that hinders your rest is the very thing you need to surrender to the Lord. Did you hear that? The very thing that hinders your rest is the very thing you need to surrender to the Lord. Could be your family. Could be your job. Could be your finances. Could be your health. The very thing that you that occupies your brain and causes you unrest is the very thing that you need to surrender to God. And until you do that, you won't have rest. It screams that I still want to have control rather than relinquishing it to God. Look at verse 7. It says, Rest in the Lord. We're not to rest in our own abilities. We're not to rest in our own skills and accomplishments. We're not to live in the past and see, oh, this is what happened yesteryear. We're to rest in the Lord. And you notice here's something interesting about this. In the Lord, we see both our focal point and our foundation for our strength, right? He is the focal point that we are to rest in, but he's also the, both the source and the strength of our rest. It's in him and in him alone. And the second directive here is to wait. And then he tells us how. He says to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. See, the whole idea of getting in the mindset of rest is that God is going to do something. And I need to wait on him to do it. I'm not to push him to do something. I'm not going to try to tell him what he has to do. I'm here to wait patiently till he chooses to work. I'm not to take things in my own hand. In fact, go back just a couple pages to Psalm chapter 27. In Psalm chapter 27, in verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When we wait on the Lord, God works. And that's the whole idea behind the rest and behind the waiting is to see what God will do. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 5 for a moment. And most of our time this morning is going to be on these first two directives, so I promise you I won't take as long a time on all of them. But I want to... Read together verse 7, or follow me as I read verse 7. It says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, the fruit, until it receives the early and latter rain. And then he says, You, the reader, you that are listening to this, also be patient. And then there's a phrase that maybe we overlook at times. Establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Is there any doubt that the coming of the Lord is at hand during these days that we live in? Could be at any time. So the idea, once again, behind resting and waiting is to see what God is going to do. And it's only as we rest and wait on God that He will act. So we're to rest. But look on as verse 9. It says, 
while you're waiting, while you're being patiently waiting on God, look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful, waiting patiently until the Lord works. And then Psalm chapter 37 again. We see a third directive found in verse 7. It says, Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of him who prospers. Because of him who brings wicked schemes to pass. So this goes back, really, back to verse 1 as he reminds us again. Verse 1, he says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. Question. Just let's be honest, just for a moment. When we are not resting, a lot of times, isn't it because we're worried about what's going on with everyone around us? Some good, some bad, some not so good, not so bad. But a lot of times it's because our focus is on what everything is going on around us. He says, do not fret because of him who prospers. Why, why does he, and, and you notice he, he says this several times throughout the passage. I'm sitting there going, why? Why does he keep bringing this up? Because it's so like us to be worried about everyone else and what they have and what they got and what they're doing and what they get to do and where they're, all of it. Isn't it true? I mean, you can just hear it in the mind sitting around, you know, a fly sitting at the table at so-and-so's house. Did you hear what so-and-so was doing? Yeah, we all heard that conversation somewhere in time, right? We're so worried about everyone else. What if we got back to this novel concept, taking care of ourselves in our walk with God, rather than worrying about everyone else's? What would change in our own lives if we would get serious about committing our own way to the Lord? So he says, do not fret because of him who prospers, because of him who brings wicked schemes to pass. Question. Let's just bring up politics for 10 seconds. No, not the parties. Just the concept. Everyone has an idea of what's right and what's wrong. What's good, what's bad. What we should do, what we should not do. But regardless of what side you're on, wherever you land, you think that there's one side that is evil. If, you de- if you're a Democrat, you think that the Republicans are evil. If you're a Republican, you think the Democrats are evil. And Libertarians are somewhere in the middle. I don't know. <laughs> both sides. They're, they're both evil. <laughs> but regardless of where you stand, well, there's that mindset that the other group is evil. And let me, let me, in case you didn't hear me read it, let me read it again. It says, do not pre- do not fret because of him who prospers his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Isn't that like half the politicians? How many of us have let that occupy our brains nonstop? I get to the point where I can't turn the news on. It drives me insane. And I don't care what side you listen to. It drives you nuts. Because we're worried about the other side. Pastor, we should be informed. Yes, be informed. But I can tell you, most of us got our minds made up. No matter what anyone says, you're not going to change it anyway, right? I know my mind's made up. 
probably nothing you say is going to change it. So what does all the worrying do about those who are wicked and evil and wrong? What does it do? We'll get to that in just a minute. So Psalm chapter 73. We glanced at it the other day. Turn over to Psalm chapter 73. And look at verse... Verse 3 says, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's like, wow, I see what everyone else has. They just have it all. Wow, I wish I had that. I'm just so envious of them. They have it all. Hmm. It says, For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They look so confident. And when they die, they die in confidence. So he thinks. Verse 5, There are no trouble as other men nor are they plagued like other men. Is that really true? But it's what he's feeling, right? So if I feel it, it must be true. Because they look like they just have it all together. And therefore the pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, and they have more than heart could wish. It looks like they have it all together, right? Isn't that what it appears? It means noticing everything about them is like, man, I just wish I had what they have. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, as people turn here and waters of a full cup are drained by them, like they not only have everything, it seems like they take what other people have. And they say, how does God know? And there is no knowledge of the Most High. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches and surely have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. What's the deal here? He's so occupied with with what's going on everywhere around him that he's not dealing with himself. Folks, the most important thing that we can deal with is ourselves. How many of you have been able to change someone else's heart? Raise your hand. change somebody else's heart? Or does God do that? I can change their minds. I can change what I want them to do at times because we do that with our kids. But often hearts are only changed by God. God softens the heart. God hardens the heart, right? But oftentimes we change people's minds, but God changes the heart. Jeremiah chapter 12. there. Jeremiah chapter 12. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet may talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Bottom line is, we think people are happy. We think, oh, they got it all together. But what I found in my young life (laughs) is that so often what I perceive as happiness is usually a front. Because nobody is without struggle. Nobody is without pain. Nobody is without circumstances that they would never choose. And I have found for now 40 years of going to church, I can walk through the doors of the church every Sunday and say, hey, how's it going? And the pat answer is, fine. And the reality is, you're going through struggles and circumstances that you wouldn't wish on anybody. And quite honestly, you're wondering why you're going through them. 
but we're not going to share that with anybody because it's hard and we don't trust. So I found for a lot of years that perception is not always reality, even though we think it is. One more verse on the subject. It says, Do not fret because of him who prospers. And Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his own soul? What does it profit? Nothing. I've said for many years, God gives us what he gives us for a reason. We have a job for two reasons, really. Number one, to provide for our families. But number two, so we have a mission field to serve on. Your workplace is your mission field. You have an opportunity to impact the lives of those around you. Fourth directive is in verse 8. Cease from anger. And I'm going to give the next two together. Fourth is cease from anger. The fifth is forsake wrath. There is a slight difference between anger and wrath. Let me give you a couple. Anger, to be angered means to flare up the nostril. It means to flare up the nostril. You get mad, the nostrils get big, the hair on the back of their head stands up, they get angry and they want to... Right? It means to flare up the nostril. Wrath has the idea of being filled with rage. Anger often remains an emotion. Wrath often turns into action. Anger oftentimes is natural. Wrath is quite honestly unnatural. Anger oftentimes remains emotional, while wrath often turns sinful. Because there is an anger that is righteous and can fill all those characteristics, but not turn into wrath. Wrath often turns sinful. And oftentimes anger can be strong, but wrath is usually much stronger. And here's what he says about them. Cease from anger. We're not to get angry at everything. You ever met somebody who just gets angry at the drop of a hat for no reason? Man, do you want to be around them? I don't. There are certain people that I just don't want to hang out with because they're just angry people. And it seems like their anger is is infectious, and I don't want to be around it. Don't be that person. And then he says, forsake wrath. Don't let an emotion turn sinful. I get angry at what I see going on around me. And I believe oftentimes it's a righteous anger. And we shouldn't get... We should be angry towards the sinfulness of, of the world going on around us. That, that should anger us. But it shouldn't turn to wrath. I believe wrath is reserved for God. It says, cease from anger. Forsake wrath. And then he comes back to another directive as he closes in verse 8. First time he says, do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the one who brings wicked schemes to pass. And now he says one more time, do not fret because it only causes harm. You ever notice that when you worry, it just, it's like a root that takes, takes, takes a deep-seated, I want to say root, but it's deep-seated within. 
and it begins to grow and begins to fester. And before long, the root is so strong that you don't know how to get rid of it. I think one of the worst jobs I've ever had is pulling weeds. I hate pulling weeds. I'm serious. There's a couple weeds out there. I was going to be nice. And, you know, Don goes out there and she pulls weeds all the time. I hate pulling weeds. But she'll walk around the backside of the pool and start pulling weeds. I, I, I despise that junk. I hate it. But one day I was going to try to be nice. Well, other days too, but just that one day I was going to try to be nice and pull weeds. I went over there and I start yanking on it and the thing won't leave. And being a man, I'm going to win. Right? I mean, that's what we do. We win. So I, I'm getting angry because the first part of it broke, and now, now I'm dealing with after the second pull. It's this far below the ground, but I ain't got the root, and it's irritating me. I'm going to win. So I start digging out all the dirt, and I, find, I couldn't get it out. It drove me nuts. I only did that one. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's over that. Another day. But you know those roots? When they take root, they're hard to kill. And when you allow a root of bitterness and a root of worry to take seed in your in your heart, it's hard to kill. So he says, don't do it. And the very fact that he says, don't do it, almost presupposes the fact that you are. The reader is doing this. And here's what God showed me from these things. I need rest. And in order for me to have rest, I've got to totally rely on him. And I have to commit everything to him and delight in him. And if I can learn to do that and to wait on him till he does what he's going to do and remove the worry and the fret of everyone else and everything else that's going on around me and to not be angry at everything that goes on in my life and to not let it, that anger turn into wrath, if I can do those things with God's help and being filled with the Spirit, you know what the result is? Peace. I think that's why he says in Isaiah 26.3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. That's what it means to truly have peace is that you're emptying your brain of everything else that you cannot control. That's hard, right? Who of us hasn't been worried about our kids, our parents? Who of us is not worried about things that are taking place at work? Who of us is not worried about our finances? Who of us hasn't worried about issues of health and the pandemic? Who of us is not worried about something taking place around us? And that's where we're reminded that this is where we have to come back and recommit it to the Lord. And rather than dwelling on the things that aren't good, begin to delight in the Lord because anything that he does for us, if we're honest with ourselves, is better than we deserve. How many would agree with that? Anything God does for us is better than we deserve. So who are we kidding? trying to control our lives, trying to dictate the outcomes rather than surrendering it all to God. 
don't know about you, but I struggle with that. That very first thing, I'm telling you, 90% of my study in the hospital was done in that first word. How can I sit still like a stone? A stone doesn't have a brain. Novel thought. It's inanimate. The stone can't be moved unless somebody picks it up and moves it. Unless there's a tornado coming through or something, there, uh, maybe a stone in the, on a shoreline, the water put A stone cannot move by itself. And yet, this is the word that's translated rest. Still as a stone. And once again, not just being still, but being silent until God chooses to work. I don't know about you, but there are things that I need to rest in. Things that I need to give to God on a regular basis. This thing. This thing has irritated the fire out of me already. I don't like to sit around. I can't tell you how many times I've walked by a dresser and got this stupid, whatever you call it, cable, tube, whatever, caught on a doorknob, on a dresser knob, and it yanks me back. I just want, hmm. But the guy that came to the house to change the dressing reminded me that was $10,000, so be careful with it. I guess I won't throw it against the wall then. I'm just telling you, there are always opportunities in our everyday living to surrender whatever it is to God. He's going to give us opportunities every day to surrender whatever it is that is hindering our rest to give it back to Him. The question is, I ask you to do two things at the beginning. Be honest. What's hindering your rest? What are you not waiting patiently on the Lord for? What is it that you're worrying about? What is it that you're angry about? What is it that wrath may come into your life over that is collectively robbing you of the peace that God wants you to have? And are you not only honest about what that thing is or what those things are, but are you willing to give them to God and surrender them? I'm reminded of what he says in verses 5 and 6 that we looked at two weeks ago. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will what? Bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as a new day. God will work if you are willing to rest in him. Are you willing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you, Lord, as needy people. As people, Lord, who want to control circumstances, Lord, I know I do. Lord, I pray that you'd help every one of us in this room, Lord, to be honest and to be obedient about those things, Lord, that we need to be honest and obedient over. God, would you work in our hearts? Because, Lord, we want the peace that only you can offer. But, Lord, the peace doesn't come until we are willing to rest in you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, they just ask for a moment that no one be looking around.